Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we are in chapter 56, verses 1 through 8, where we read this. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people of Israel. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is uh, interesting. It uh, marks kind of a transition. We're moving from that first section of uh, of Isaiah, which was when Judah was dealing with these international incidents with these other nations, Assyria and, and whatnot, and Egypt, and then the second section in the middle where they're in Babylonian captivity. And here we're moving into the rest of the book, this, this last section, which deals with kind of uh, the imperative to be faithful as we wait for the fulfillment of of God's promise. And in the opening of this third section, we see this imperative to welcome and honor the outsider. Uh, in verses four and five, we see that uh, God is going to bless the eunuchs who keep his, uh, keep his commandments and do his will. And um, these are people who did ha didn't have any hope of a family legacy. These eunuchs were seen as being uh, people who had no hope. They were excluded even from worship in the temple. And God here says that he's going to welcome them into his house. And that's also the same word for the temple. And God says that they're going to be blessed. And of course, this immediately reminds me of Jesus when confronted with the challenge about divorce. Jesus uses that challenge as a teachable moment. And he says that some some men were born eunuchs, some were made that way by other men, and he said that some will choose to live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God, and the person who accepts this actually should accept it. In other words, it's better to live as if we had no ability to physically procreate and instead be fruitful and multiply spiritually, giving ourselves fully to God's people giving ourselves fully to God's kingdom. And Paul, of course, later picks up on this same theme and says that it's very better to marry if we are not so gifted, or if we are so gifted as to not do that, or as Jesus says, if we can accept it. And so what was considered an, a curse in the ancient world gets lifted into a calling in God's kingdom. A curse becomes a calling. I can, I can even see that as like a title of a sermon somewhere. 
Um, but just like in the a previous chapter, in chapter 54, uh, the children of the barren woman, it says the children of the barren woman will become more numerous than she who has a husband. And that same theme is being continued continued here with this kind of spiritual uh, fruitfulness. And I think that in some generations, the church as a whole has do, done too much in emphasizing the call of singleness. I think that's definitely true. But I think in some generations, or rather in our generation, uh, we have done too little, uh, just like in Isaiah's day and Jesus's day, done too little in lifting up the call of, of singleness, that it is better um, to uh, give give up this natural desire, if we are able, it's better to give up this natural desire in order to more fully serve, to be more uh, fully focused on, on God's kingdom. Uh, but in any case, continuing this theme of welcoming and elevating outsiders, verse uh, six and following emphasizes the place of worshiper, the, the foreigners who worship the Lord. He says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And of course, that's the very verse that Jesus quotes when he's cleaning out the temple, when he's cleaning out the temple of the money changer. And in Matthew, uh, it's just recorded that he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. But uh, a, a, I've heard scholars argue that uh, a common practice in rabbinic Judaism is that you leave off the real zinger. So you just you quote the verse right up to the part and that you really want them to think about. And then as their mind fills in that gap, then it will really stick with them. So Jesus says in Matthew, speaking to a Jewish audience, uh, my house will be a house of prayer. And then wanting them to fill in their mind with their minds for all nations. The fact that they had set up the marketplace inside the court of the Gentiles, which was the only place in the temple that that outsiders could go, the far, that foreigners could go, and they were being excluded because it had been turned into a marketplace. Their place in the temple had been eliminated. And Mark, writing to a Roman Gentile audience who wouldn't know Isaiah, wouldn't be able to fill in uh, fill in the gap. Mark quotes the whole verse, saying, "My my house will be a house of prayer for all nations," because those Romans wouldn't have gotten that context, and so he fills it in. Jesus likely didn't say that, he but uh, he, Mark has to fill it in for for that Gentile audience. And so, in both of these cases, I see people who are considered as being worthless in the current culture. But God says that they are of infinite worth in, in his kingdom. So it's we have to be really careful about one of the ways that we can, the ways that we are called to be faithful is to be really careful about how we judge people. It's very easy to judge people as certain people as being worth our time or not worth our time or worthy of God's, uh, uh, God's ministry and some people as being not, but rather God says that anyone who will be faithful, regardless of, of disability, regardless of um, national status and blood heritage and all these other things that, that we might be concerned about, anyone who is going to be faithful is going to be welcomed and honored in God's house. And so if, if God is going to welcome such people, then certainly if we want to be participating in God's house, then we need to be welcoming such people as well. Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. You know, I see at least two major themes. And as I just, I'm thinking about them, I realize one of them is, is probably very uh, kind of acceptable and sort of trivial in our day, but would have been scandalous in theirs. And the other is probably the other way around. Yeah, it would have been much less, uh, you know, much more acceptable then. And maybe would be scandalous now, um, but I think you know it, the first theme I see at the beginning at the end uh, runs in the face of what we often think about the nation of Israel, uh, the kind of the ancient nation of Israel. We think of it as being you know very um, uh, you know haughty and uh, you know exclusionary, right, towards all the other nations. 
when in fact that was not the case. And God was very clear in Isaiah here, you know, God speaking through Isaiah, be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. And again, and we, I mean, honestly, that the the analogy of modern day Israel is not lost in that uh, you can see where this nation of ancient Israel that had been under siege from so many uh, of people of these other nations, how they could have become defensive, how they could have become very us and them, and you know we're good, they're evil. I mean, these are the this is a very natural tendency. Um, and yet God is really clear. No, 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 no. Be just and fair to everyone. And if they come to you, then receive them. You know, don't go, ah, you're one of those awful people. We're going to get rid of you. Um, and, and so I think in that way, you know, nowadays, I think that that's probably uh, a lot of people find that idea very attractive. Yeah, yeah, we should bring everybody. And of course, the same thing in verse eight. The sovereign Lord uh, uh, who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel, right? This, this was not a some kind of new idea in the last 50 years, right? This is Isaiah uh, writing centuries, six centuries before Jesus. We saw it in Isaiah 25. Uh, you know, we really talked about it a lot when we did that passage. Uh, but I mean, it goes all the way back to the promise to Abraham, right? I'm, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And then this, the whole idea was he was going to be, a, he was going to bless uh Abraham in order to be a blessing to the entire world. So there's that sense of largesse, but it's also not saying, well, just let all the foreigners come, right? Which again, probably some of people's tendency today. And I think, well, this is a very interesting distinction. He says, no, let don't let foreigners who, who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of the people. And then again, then back in verse six, um, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath, my day of rest, and hold fast to my day of covenant. That it's it's the people who are saying, hey, I'm, we're choosing the Lord and we're choosing this way of, of, the, of worshiping with this community to welcome people in is actually more than just, you know, giving them your stuff. It's actually sharing who you are and, and becoming one people together. Uh, and so anyway, I see that here. The, the other piece, I think, the, the other theme I think is interesting is this, this whole thing with the eunuchs. And you talked a little bit about that. That In that culture, those folks would have been uh, really castigated and, and, and really marginalized, right? I mean, they would, would have uh, been pitied in one sense. And, uh, and, and I, I would take a slight exception, John, to what you said in that I think that you're right. There are generations, that, millennia where the church exalted singleness and and really diminished marriage and uh, other generations where it's been exactly the opposite. And I would think that in the generation where you and I were coming of age, right in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, uh, probably especially in the 80s and 90s, right, marriage was like, that was it. And singleness was very highly suspect. Uh, I, I don't hear, I have not heard that being a common theme really in the last 10 years. And I actually feel like maybe we've swung again too far. We're still worried about the, the pendulum being too far over in the pro-marriage side that now it's become too far in the, you know, not challenging people to, to marriage. But this is the real thing I think that is, is beyond just marriage. It says, don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. Uh, and, and I do think that and so God's going to talk about how he's going to actually, you know, have them integrated, be a part of the people and, and, and be a blessing to the people. Um, 
And I think that there is a calling for all of us. We don't all have to have children, definitely. But I think we all need to be invested in the next generations. And yet I think that what ends up happening so often is when we, we cast off the overemphasis on this one way, right? Having children and one way of serving and, and investing in the future generation. We then don't supplement that by saying, well, there's, there's other ways to do it too. But all of us are called to serve and to sacrifice for others, all of us. And in fact, that's what it is to be a part of these people. That's how we're going to have a legacy that will outlive us, right? It's not just my genes that go on. In fact, I would say the least important thing is the genes. What's more important is that is this character, this story, uh, the, 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 the spiritual genes, if you will, right? The spiritual DNA that gets passed on. Uh, and that's where I think when whenever Israel made the mistake of thinking of their nation as being defined by their you know, ethnicity, by their DNA, they missed it. That the whole idea of the nation of Israel, it was defined by this community, this culture that was in relationship with God. That's the DNA that matters. And that DNA got intended to be spread over the whole earth and to be inclusive of everybody. Um, so anyway, those are some of my thoughts. No, yeah. no definitely. That's, that's the thing that really ties them together, not just the welcoming people in, but the idea that Israel, the people of God, is spiritually reckoned. And this is something that comes much clearer in the New Testament. And so in that sense, then then a eunuch and a foreigner could just as easily be part of Israel as someone who is native born, uh, as long as, like they say, like you said, as long as they're being faithful, faithful to God, as long as they have become part of the covenant, well, that's that's what makes up Israel in this sense. It is spiritually reckoned. So yeah, the, the, the two really come together in that way. That's exactly it. Well, John, would you be willing to pray for us? I'd love to. Our good and gracious God, we thank you that you have given us this invitation to be a part of your family, to be a part of your house, to be welcomed into your house. Lord, I pray that we would be um, people who are faithful to everything that you desire your family to be, uh, that we would be willing participants with the way your spirit leads us, that we would love one another, and Lord, that we would bring this message of welcome out to others as well, to welcome others so that your family may grow, that we might have many spiritual children um, that would bring uh, delight to you as your family grows to include everyone in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow as we continue to uh, learn from God's word.